Thanks for tuning in to the Falcon Theatre Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jansen, mild-mannered manager of the Falcon Theatre in Tisdale, Saskatchewan. Together with my son, Noah Jansen, the self-professed movie snob, we're going to enlighten and entertain you with our immense movie knowledge. So sit back and relax. But if you're currently driving a vehicle, don't relax too much. But enjoy this episode of the Falcon Theatre Podcast. All right, so welcome to the Falcon Theater Podcast. What did you think of our new intro, Noah? I I loved it. It was wonderful. Really? No feed? You can't give me any, like, feedback to, like, make it better or something? I think it was just perfect the way it is. Oh, I like everything your dad does, right? <laughs> I sure do. Or I what? just know not to question, or I know not to question authority. So that's that's damn right. You don't. You know, <laughs> you were raised well. I was. <laughs> so today in the Falcon Theater podcast, uh, we're going to be talking about a few different things. We're going to be talking about Deadpool three, a new Highlander movie, uh, a little more Oscar slash Golden Globe talk uh, today. And also, we're going to introduce a new section that I like to call Noah Knows. So that's coming up <laughs> in today's podcast. Uh, before we get into that, though, uh, there's a couple things I wanted to bring up the, that I missed last podcast. I guess that was last week. Um, I wanted to start off with uh, what's going on at the Falcon Theater. And so this weekend, we have Mean Girls for showing Friday to Sunday, Friday and Saturday It'll be at 8 p.m. and Sunday we're running a matinee at 2 o'clock again. And then the week after, we have a very special weekend coming up. Uh, anyone but you. And on the Saturday, the sorry, the, the Friday and the Sunday will be normal showings. But on the Saturday, we're going to be showing a special Valentine's event. We've teamed up with the Tisdale Canets. And uh, so we're going to have a special event with prizes that day. And we're going to be selling uh, uh, alcoholic beverages at the show. So it's a licensed oh, wow. event. Yeah, I know. So it ha- it's going to get rowdy. Well, maybe. You never <laughs> you never know at the people at Tisdale. Uh, but uh, yeah, so you have to be 19 or over in order to attend the special event on Saturday. If you want to know more about that, just check out our Facebook page or our website at falcontheater.com. Uh Following that, we have the Iron Claw coming, and then Argyle, and then in March, hopefully, Madam Web and Dune Two coming. So, all right, now, so quite, quite the, quite the. I, I will say, like, even for, for this time of year, you know, being kind of what's considered like a lull in movies, um, it's, it's been, I would say, better than I've seen in previous years for what has been coming out. Yeah, I've been excited about it. I. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know about this weekend with Mean Girls. It's not really made for fifty-four-year-old men, but you know. No, fine. no. I, I've I've heard I've heard pretty good things about it. I think there's a lot of like the behind-the-scenes people are, um, like Tina Fey. I think is had a lot of you know creative input, which you know she was the one who originally made Mean Girls in whenever two thousand four, whenever it came out with Lindsay Lohan. You know, right. So I, yeah. from what I've heard, it's 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 done it's done well. Yeah. No, I, I'm hoping it'll bring the people out. A um, couple other carries over from last week. Uh, when I was looking at our stats, our listen stats, which were very good. Thank you to uh, all those people who tuned in. 
But what I found interesting was we had a half a dozen people from Ireland who tuned into our our spot our our podcast on Spotify. And I want to give a big shout out to Noah's buddy Padraig from Ireland because I'm assuming that's where our listeners came from. Uh, but... That or there is a, there is a maybe a a little underground love for uh, small town theaters in Saskatchewan. But I'm thinking it's more the the former than the latter. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm guessing that it was probably that. There was also. We need, we need to, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say we uh, we'll need to start maybe trying to feature more more Irish content if that's over half our listener base here. I, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Whenever we can fit it in. Mm-hmm. No, I and, uh, another thing from last week. Uh, I made a big mistake last week, and oh, I don't know. I don't oh. know if you're aware. Yeah, I screwed up. Um, we were talking about wrestling movies last week and I talked about, uh, cause we were talking about the Aaron claw and I, I was talking about the movie, the wrestler, which was a great wrestling movie. But, uh, my friend Benda, uh, she called me out for missing one of the greatest wrestling movies that's ever been made. Do you know and what that one is? That? Um, I mean, I'll be honest. I don't know a lot of wrestling movies so I, on the top of my head. I, I don't know. So I can't believe I didn't mention this one last week. The movie is called Peanut Butter Falcon. And oh, I would like to right, yeah. I would like to thank Benda for reminding me that uh Peanut Butter Falcon is one of the greatest uh wrestling movies that's ever been made. If you've never watched it, do yourself a favor and find it somewhere and watch it. Um the synopsis, the the idea of it is that there's this runaway he's got down syndrome and he runs away from his home because he wants to be a pro wrestler and um it's starring zach Gottsagen. i don't know if i'm saying that right and shia labeouf now i'm no fan of shia labeouf but he's absolutely spectacular in peanut butter falcon yeah no, i i i thought it was a really like the relationship between the the two of them there is is such a it, it kind of a little bit reminded me like not exactly the same but like with the holdovers like that kind of like you know the the tension growing and then they you know kind of grow to appreciate each other and you know the the older guy kind of you know even though he might not want to be doing he does seem to kind of like you know he has that soft heart and he wants to help and he wants to you know yeah yeah, no, it's it's absolutely wonderful movie. So, can't believe I forgot it. I missed it. So, I apologize for that to all of our listeners. I should uh, I should definitely be more up on my movies when I talk about them, right? <laughs> oh yeah, okay, okay. Another uh, throwback to last week. Uh, we we talked about Gladiator two last week, and I just wanted to say I watched Gladiator this week. It was on AMC one day on, so I That's threw it enough. on. Yeah, how do you turn it off, right? And no I have to say, it still holds up today. Like, it's it's been 20 years, but, man, it's still a good movie. I I actually, because um, when we were talking about it last time, and there was the one actor that I was trying to remember who had passed away during filming, and I said Oliver Stone, who I was thinking of was Oliver Reed. Oh, yeah. And he plays, like, whatever, the 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 old emperor whatever so that was that's my amendment to uh to last week ah both of us made mistakes i don't feel so bad now no <laughs> um so i in the last week since uh we did our last episode here i watched a, a really interesting movie um so it's on netflix um i don't believe it's getting any 
Like, I don't really think it's going out in theaters at all, but maybe if you have Netflix, you you can watch it. Um, so it's a movie called Society of the Snow. Um, it's a movie about the 1972 uh, Uruguayan rugby team that crashes in the Andes. Um, so the survivors of the plane crash ended up lasting for over 68 days on a mountain wearing literally, like, very, like, maybe a, a light jacket and, like, pants. Like, they were not equipped for winter weather. And so it's a, it's a very much a story. I mean, it's a true story, but it's, it's kind of telling about that, uh, you know, the human will to survive and everything. Um, and what kind of has made the story so famous over time is the, to survive, eventually they had to, you know, go and take part in, you know, cannibalizing the, the dead. Um, but the, back in the nineties, I believe there was a, a movie called alive. Sorry. Right. Um, yeah. I remember yeah. that movie. Yeah. And so it's, it's a very, it, it's, it's, the same like circumstances, everything. Um, now that movie is a lot more westernized. You know, it's it's an American retelling of it. You know, so it's English speaking actors. The thing I really appreciate about this movie is the the actors, everything are actors who are from Uruguay, like from the region. So it is in Spanish. Um, I I when I was watching it, I, I was doing a couple other things, so I did have the dub on. I'll be honest, I did not notice. Uh, really anything like the, the dub is, is a quite well done you know like i'm sure if you were intently watching yeah sure it's obviously not going to match but it was the the dubbing performances were quite good um but it was a a fantastic movie like i would highly highly recommend it it's uh nominated i believe for one of the best international films for the oscars this year cool it's hold, holding like a 91 percent on rotten tomatoes uh beautifully shot like some of the scenes when they're up in the mountains is like I would almost say, like those, like kind of, like David Attenborough kind of like nature documentaries, like you know how like high quality, like that's how some of the shots look. Like it's beautiful. It's a wow. beautiful movie. Um, the one, the one thing I will say, if for anybody who is wanting to go watch the movie, um, I will, I will give a very, very heavy content warning. Um, when they feature, like it's the the crash happens within the first, say, thirty minutes of the movie, and it. It was one of probably the most traumatic, kind of disturbing scenes I've ever seen in a movie in my life. Oh. Like I, I, I it, like when we were talking about Saving Private Ryan last week and how it like that opening scene just leaves you numb. Um, it, I, I had to pause the movie right after. Like I was mouth open, you know. Like it, typically in movies when you have like a crash, like the way they portray it is like you know, an impact with a quick cut to black and then the person wakes up, you know? Yeah. No, they, they for about a minute, they show you here everything. Like, it, they're showing people, like, as the skeets move forward and their bones are breaking and their necks are snapping and you, like, you see it all. They, they don't, you know, and the one thing I really, I don't know, I don't know if it made it hit a little bit harder, but, like, typically in movies that are based on a true story and they, you know, people have, you know, the real people die at the end of the movie, they kind of have like the immemorial of them. Right. The, th the thing that I thought was really interesting in this is so after the crash and the survivors get up and everything, and they start bringing the bodies out of the plane, they start putting up the names and ages of all the people, like in the middle of the movie saying who they were and everything. And I thought that was a really interesting way to kind of give you a little bit more of a connection to, you know, the people that actually kind of perished in this, uh, in this, 
accident. Wow, especially knowing uh, that, you know, what's going to happen later on in the movie too, right? Well, exactly. And, 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 and no pun intended, but they, they did it, I feel, in a very tasteful way with showing the cannibalism. <laughs> like they're, not, they're, they're not showing them, like, ripping them apart, but, like, you know, they, they do show them with, like, the little bits of, of meat and everything and having to, you know, consume it and everything. And the, the philosophical and moral dilemma of, you know, is it, is it should we be doing this? You know, um, the one kind of comment that's made in it is, well, the, the one guy says, you know, I, they, they didn't consent to be being eaten. And so at one point later on, all the survivors say, I consent for you to eat my body for you guys to survive. And a, a lot of the people, especially like in South America, uh, Catholicism is a very heavy religion. And I think in a lot of times with Catholicism too, like the idea of killing yourself is very shunned upon. So eventually the argument is made that if they were to just not eat the human bodies, that would be in the same sense of I have a source here that can keep me going and I'm choosing not to. That is effectively me killing myself. So that is wow. the justification. And an interesting fact, um, and actually before this movie had come out, before I even knew it was coming out, I had listened to a podcast series about it. And they actually had afterwards when the survivors, um, well, yeah, plot twist, they, they, they do survive. There is survivors, but not everybody makes it out. Um, they actually did have a, a Catholic priest come and meet with the survivors because there was a bit of a, you know, oh, well, what's the moral implication of us having to have consumed human flesh? And apparently in Catholicism, there is things written in that it is uh, whatever under under God and under the Catholic Church. It is in a survival situation. It is allowed for you to consume human flesh to if it is a means for survival. Well, I mean, let's uh, not offend any uh, Christians here, but uh they're they're eating the body of Christ all the time. So. Well, and that, and that's essentially the argument. That's the argument that's made, you know. So yeah. Oh, really oh it is. I was kind of being facetious, but okay. No, it, 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 that is that is that is kind of the justification. So yeah, no, so it is a it is a fantastic movie, but I would give a heavy heavy uh, content warning. It it is like I, I don't get. Um, yeah, guys, know, this this is coming from somebody who uh, is sees a lot of. Uh, uh, death and destruction, if you will. So, Unfortunately, yeah, in, yeah. In, in my my line of work, but uh, it it was probably one of the most like I I it's something I, I think about since I saw the movie. I think back, I'm like, man, that was. But I think it's good that they did that and show how how traumatic it truly was. So, no, highly would recommend that movie to anybody that's uh, maybe seen it on on Netflix or anything. You're not really selling me on it, the whole, uh, you know, going to leave me numb thing, because I didn't appreciate that in Saving... I mean, it was amazing and incredibly done in Saving Private Ryan, but I, I definitely... <laughs> I mean, didn't. I mean, not all not all movies have to have to give you a good feeling, just sometimes... No, that, that's right. Yeah, no, you're absolutely <laughs> right. So, um, you were saying that you listened, you, you watched it with the dubbing on. So, that brings up the question, on a typical foreign language film dubbing or closed captions what do you prefer it it depends on there's a couple circumstances that i would like change like for me like i was i was kind of doing a couple things while it was on so if i'm not like gonna be sitting there with like you know staring at the screen the whole time you know i would i i'm okay with with the dubbing like a lot of the times like if it's a tv show 
Like that's that's ten hours of it. You know, I'll probably put on the dub. Um, the Studio Ghibli movies that have come out, like the recently The Boy and the Heron, uh, Spirit Away, which is one of my favorite. They have the um, I don't know, the, the benefit of having uh, their dubbed actors being usually Hollywood actors. You know, Boy and the Heron has an all star dubbing cast. Yeah, but um, when you're talking animated, you can't really compare that to live action when you're talking about dubbing no and that's true um i i think like there there is a time like for the movie parasite like i think that movie benefits greatly off of having it be a a, a subtitled movie like in the native language um some of the inflections and you know there there is certain like just the way stuff is pronounced and presented with language barriers sometimes can be you know maybe not interpreted 100 percent correctly I know some people get really caught up about it, but at the end of the day, I mean, I think it's whatever your personal preference is. I don't think there's an issue with either. I, I hate dubbing. I hate it. Like I can't, I, I can barely watch a film if it's been dubbed. Uh, the, the, when the voice doesn't match the mouth, it just completely takes me out of the, the movie. <laughs> I, I can't, I give me closed captions all the time. I just so so then I would I would recommend then you watch the sub version of Society of the Snow if you watch it. <laughs> yeah, no, I I would watch with closed captions for sure. I I even when I watched I rewatched the entire series of Peaky Blinders. I had to have closed captions on because half the time I couldn't understand, especially when yeah. uh, Tom Hardy's in there. It's Tom like Hardy's, he, yeah, yeah, 100%. he mumbles so much, but no, I no, I like closed captions. I enjoyed. I enjoy. I you I do usually. I do maybe it's just my hearing is going, but I do usually just regularly watch TV with closed captioning, especially with a lot of newer shows. I find that the sound mixing is so uneven, and like mm-hmm. you'll have a scene that's so loud, and then a scene that's so quiet. And so instead of me having to like turn the TV up and turn it down, I can leave it at one volume. That if I can't really hear, at least I know what they're saying because I can read it too. That that even happens at the movie theater a bit. Like even last weekend, we showed the color purple. And the music was so much louder than the talking that <laughs> I, I, I struggled a little bit with it because um, the opening song was incredibly loud, like in your face loud. And so I turned it down a little bit for the opening song, but then I would, I, I'd adjusted, turn the sound back up a tiny bit. Cause I know, especially some of the older people that come to our movie theater, they don't like when it's too loud, when it's so, it's, it almost painful. Like, you know, so I, I try mm-hmm. to adjust it, you know, but there's only so much I can do. No, hundred percent. All right. Uh, let's move on to the rumor mill. Um, I, I was looking up some Hollywood rumors and one of, well, not really a rumor, but one of the things I saw was that uh, Deadpool 3 has wrapped shooting. So oh, I'm, I'm okay. super excited for that. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, they're, they're just, they're such good fun. And it's going to be pretty awesome getting to see uh, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine again. I was really surprised when he said he was going to be in it because he said he would never play Wolverine again. And I, mm-hmm. I follow him, I follow him on Twitter and, and he was not looking forward to the workout regime that he had to go through to become Wolverine. I oh, guess no, 100%. They, I guess they threw enough money at him to get him to do it, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, it'll be, it, it'll be good. I'm, I'm really excited because I've seen, there's been a couple of, uh, on-set photos that have uh, leaked from it, mm-hmm. and 
it, it, it looks as though that he's going to be in his like the iconic yellow Wolverine suit. So that's that's pretty cool. That is cool. I'm I'm excited about that. I love I believe there's I believe there was a I believe in like was a the Wolverine like where he goes to Japan. There's a deleted scene where they give him like a briefcase and he opens it up and it has like the helmet, the iconic helmet, and then he's like, I'm not wearing this stupid thing or something like that. Yeah, I think you're right if I remember correctly. No, but yeah, no, I'm I'm excited and uh uh, I think I had read too that like this will be the first Deadpool that's been like kind of mixed into the the MCU, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I'm curious as to how they're gonna, you know, connect that because you know Deadpool is such a unique character in the superhero movie world. Like, how is he gonna, you know, be able to coexist with everybody else? Yeah, especially like they, they've confirmed that this one's going to have an R rating, like the other ones. Which, oh, uh, you know, and, and I just, I think about the other MCU movies and how kinder, gentler they are compared to the Deadpool one. And, uh, you know, the R rating, even that, how will that work into the MCU, right? I, I can see them making some fu- some funny enough jokes about that. Like, I think I remember in, now this is years ago, one of those Spider-Man animated shows and they have Deadpool and he makes some joke about, He's like, yeah, we have to, we have to murder these people. And Spider-Man's like, you can't say that. He's like, oh, sorry, we have to unalive these bad guys. <laughs> I'm like, that's that's good. I, I like I like little things like that. So I no, know. that'll be that'll be that'll be good to good to see. Yeah, I'm. They're saying 2024, so I'm ho- I'm maybe Christmas movie, like pre Christmas. Probably. I would I I would assume that would probably. Hopefully, I don't think it's not so slated. Uh, another uh, thing I I heard is that Henry Cavill has confirmed that he's going to be in a new Highlander movie, and he oh he, said, okay. he says he can't wait to study the Blade, which I find is an interesting comment considering that he was in The Witcher, uh, <laughs> different different kind of Blade. See, and I, that's that's a movie like I mean Highlander. I mean was I think fairly big in the the eighties, you know, as a a cheesy kind of actiony movie. Um, but I don't feel like in modern day it gets as much attention as a lot of other of the 80s ones. So that's something that I could see, if done right, kind of benefiting from a, from a retelling compared to some of the other, like, you know, nostalgia-based remakes that have come out in recent years. Yeah, I, I question a lot of the remakes that they do in Hollywood, and I'm usually not a fan. Uh, it's even this most recent Color Purple, it's like, why did it need to be made? Like, what what did it bring to the table that the other one didn't. But um, in this case, I'm actually kind of excited about it. Uh, I actually just rewatched the original Highlander not that long ago. And Mm -hmm. it is really cheesy. Like it's bad cheesy, like not in a good way. It's, it's, it's got some parts that it's like, Ooh, that's, you know, not well done. Um, You know, not all all I care about. All I care about is as long as we get princes of the universe by queen in the movie, that is all I care. If that is in there, I will be happy. Yeah, and if it's not, then it's a total disaster. Total disaster. Zero out of ten. Wouldn't recommend. Got to got to have Queen, or it's just no. Exactly. Like, exactly. I I think about some of the past movies, like you know Sam Raimi's Spider Man and Tim Burton's Batman, that were cheesy and fun, but in a good way. Like that's how they were made. They were made to be that way. 
but the Highlander movie was not. It was meant to be gritty. It was they're playing they're playing it straight. Well, yeah, it, it it was supposed to be dark and gritty and that, and it just I don't know. It to me it came across as as uh, dated, I guess. Mm-hmm. No, hundred percent. Well, hopefully they can. Uh, I mean, Henry Cavill, I think when he when he picks a project, especially something that's kind of a more fantasy based, because he's such a nerd himself, I think he takes a lot of care into you know, whatever role he is, you know, kind of is almost a bit of a, a lore person himself. So, I mean, I would hope that he himself was maybe a fan of the movies and is able to have it true to the original, but kind of expand on some of those ideas and themes. I agree. Yeah, I'm a I'm a Henry Cavill fan, so I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. Um, so next, uh, let's let's start this new thing. It was my idea to, to bring this out. And I want to tell our listeners where this comes from. So when my son was in grade one, I think it was. Kindergarten uh, or grade one. one of those kindergarten or grade one. Yeah. He had an intern at his uh, school and that taught him. And we went for parent-teacher interviews and uh, she come up to us. She's like, oh, you're Noah's parents. Noah knows. And I, I would look at her like, what are you talking about? Well, every day Noah comes to school and he runs up. And the first thing he says is, you know what? You know what? And she was going to write a book called Noah Knows of all the things that Noah knows. That Noah, <laughs> You know what? So I, I suggested to Noah that we should have a Noah Knows section in our podcast. So Noah, take it away. Well, it, I mean, it's funny because I... I it hasn't changed. You know, if you ask my wife, I, I still like, Hey, do you want to know something? I still, to this day, I just love reading, uh, you know, little snippets. Like I think I've said before, I mean, Jeopardy is going to be, that's my retirement plan is to go on there and win a bunch of money. Um, so uh, a couple of things. So if you want to know something, um, in, uh, in, Oppen- in, in Oppenheimer, um, there's a line that uh, Oppenheimer makes where he says uh, like they're, they're talking about, if the bomb when they're doing the test is, is it going to work? And um, Oppenheimer says, well, in an hour, I forget, it's an hour and 58 minutes, I believe is what he says. We will, we will know for sure if the bomb works. Now, during the movie, the, the, the time when the bomb drops on screen is an hour and 58 minutes into the movie. So it is, uh, whatever, the, the exact time that he said, We'll know in this much many hours. So that's uh, oh, that's one of the no one knows for for this. Another another thing, if you want to know something, uh, um, I don't know if it's, it's probably been a while since you've seen it, but the the movie American Psycho, uh, starring Christian Bale. Yeah. Um. So it, it, in the movie, uh, he at one point gets questioned by uh, Willem Dafoe's character, who is the detective, um, and he's asking him about. Uh, the different uh, disappearance of uh, Jared Leto's character, and the really interesting thing about the scene because he's he's questioning Patrick, and Patrick is you know progressively coming more and more nervous, and so it, they don't really let you know if you know, does he know, does he not. The interesting thing is when they shot the movie, um, they actually had three different takes for that scene of Willem Dafoe talking to uh, Christian Bale's character, and the the first one. Uh, Willem Dafoe, when he is asking the questions and going through everything, he is asking the questions in, if his character knew for knew for like a hundred percent certainty that Patrick Bateman committed the crimes. He did another take where he suspected, but he wasn't sure if Patrick Bateman uh, committed the crimes. 
And then he, they did a third one where he had no clue if Patrick Bateman committed the crimes. And then in the editing room, when they the final product came, they spliced all three of those scenes together at different points. So throughout the interview, there's different inflections in his voice, kind of leaving the viewer just as confused as Patrick is. I'm like, well, how much does he know or not? So I thought that's a really interesting way to kind of help the audience uh, feel what the main character would be feeling in that scene or that uncertainty. That's really cool. Yeah, I had no idea about that. Um, and then one one last thing, uh, another movie related one. If you want to know something, um, another no so one knows. Another no. This will, this will be the third, the third and final no one knows for today. I could do a whole episode just. Maybe this will be a side project podcast. I was going to say uh, you, can't, you can't. You shouldn't be using up all your Noah knows in one podcast. <laughs> no, no, no. It's uh, a quick one. So, uh, uh, Princess Bride. You know, where we love everyone loves the Princess Bride. One of the, the greatest. Uh, yeah, I love the Princess Bride. The eighties. So uh, I was reading that. Um, uh, Maddie Patinkin, who plays uh, Inigo Montoya, uh, when he finally confronts the six-fingered man and, you know, his saying his favorite line of, you know, my name is Inigo Montoya, you killed my father, prepared to die. And then at the kind of later on in the duel, he, he says to Inigo, he says, you know, what, what the hell do you want? And he says, I want my father back, you set up a bitch. Right. Now, apparently, Mandy Patinkin has, has said that after, like, you know, asking, like, you know, because he's it's a quite emotional scene, that when asked about it, like what was he, what was his thought process? He had recently actually lost his father to cancer, so in his mind, he was essentially saying that to, like, instead of the six figure man, Mandy himself is saying that to cancer, kind of how he actually felt about losing his dad to cancer. Oh wow! Yeah. That. So as just adds, adds a little more weight to that to that scene there. Yeah, I want to go back and rewatch. Well, the whole Princess Bride, because yeah, I I just I did I did actually just re- recently watch it a, a couple months ago, and yeah, it still still holds up as one of the one of the best movies of the eighties. I would say that was a movie I'd never heard of, and and my girlfriend at the time, her name was Penny. She's like, uh, "We're gonna go to this show," and I'm like, "Princess Bride," she said, and I'm like, "No, what? I as if I'm going to go to a show called the princess bride, you can go without me. She's like, no, you're coming with me. And, and she never put her foot down. Like, you know, we, we got along great. And, but she was like, no, you're coming with me. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, cause I was a smart boy. And, uh, so I went to the show and it's one of my all time favorites. Uh, absolutely. So yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Little, little note about the princess bride. <laughs> Uh, so do we want to get into a little bit more Oscar talk here? We've still got a couple weeks or I think a couple months till the Oscars come. So got yeah. a couple more categories we can kind of go through. Yeah. Yeah. We covered kind of best picture last time and, uh, best actor and actress. So let's, uh, what else do you got for us? Um, well, we, I guess we could kind of go over quickly the, the supporting, uh, actor roles of female and actor, the actress and actor, um, yeah, I think typically when they do the Oscars, the uh, like the best actor in a supporting role, and I'm pretty sure best actress in the supporting role. That's how they start the show. That's those are usually the first awards that are uh, are given out. Um, and I feel like a lot of the times the you know we always do talk about the supporting actor, but how or the the main actor, but the supporting actor. I mean, without like they're sometimes they get nominated without the main actor himself. I mean, you've kind of seen both um, Ryan Gosling and America Ferreira both nominated for supporting actor roles and 
uh, you know, there was a bit of outrage at, you know, Marco Robbie did not get nominated. So I do think there is like a, a standout for sure from the, the supporting uh, role. So um, again, similar to, I think we said last week, there is usually a lot of carryover in this category from Golden Globes. Like it kind of leads to a, a trend. Um, so for the best uh, female actress in a supporting role, um, it was actually the uh, uh, Dean Joy Randolph from The Holdovers that uh, ended up picking it, which amazing for her because she is she is fantastic in uh, in The Holdovers. Um, she absolutely her, was, yeah, totally deserving. She she, she adds a completely different dimension to the movie. Like, it wasn't something I was expecting to to see in this. Like I thought the movie the movie is it, it is about Paul Giamatti and you know the young man and their relationship, but her character adds so much more depth to all of their, you know, like it helps the story move along in so many ways. It kind of is a bit of a, even though she has her own internalized problems, she also very much kind of keeps both of them in line a little bit too. You know, she's kind of a bit of a mother figure, you know, after her herself losing her son in Vietnam. Um, so I, I would really like to see her, that, that would be my pick for the, the Oscar for her. Um, few of the other Oscar nominees for Best Supporting Actress, Emily Blunt and Oppenheimer, which, again, she she is one that I could also see uh, taking home the Oscars. I thought she was, especially in that final interrogation scene, she's uh, she's quite good in that. Uh, we yeah, have Daniel Brooks. Whoa, 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 stop. I want to talk oh. about that for a minute, though. Okay. Like, yeah. what, you, what you just said, though, like uh, Divine Joy Randolph in The Holdovers really helped that story move forward like without her in that movie that movie isn't half as good in my opinion oh 100 agreed 100 whereas, whereas you take emily blunt out of oppenheimer um yeah it would detract from the movie but not to the same extent like i i, I wouldn't i wouldn't put emily blunt's character like emily blunt's great actress don't get me wrong but i wouldn't put her role in that movie nearly as important as uh, Divine Joy Randolph's role. No, 100% agree. I'm going off of more, I could see the Academy giving it to her. <laughs> um, but no, 100% agree. Yeah, she she has some you know points in the movie where she shines, but uh, no, 100% agree. Yeah, but the Academy can, gets it wrong if they don't agree with us, right? Exactly, exactly. Uh, we also have Daniel Brooks uh, for The Color Purple. Um, America Ferreira is nominated for Barbie, Jodie Foster for Nyad, and then, as you said before, uh, Devine Joy Randolph for The Holdover. So, I mean, she, the, the Devine Joy Randolph, she would be my pick for uh, for Best Supporting Actress, and I, I think she definitely would deserve that. Like, jo- Jodie Foster is an amazing actress, too. She's in, you know, Silence of the Lambs is one of the greatest movies ever made. Um, mm-hmm. and, and she's in the new... Um, uh, true detective, true detective yeah i haven't watched it yet but your mother has watched it and she's loving it um, um interesting thing actually uh this is her first time apparently playing a a detective or a cop or anything in any sort of tv or movie since silence of the lambs oh really oh another no one yeah. knows you just threw one another in no there just, just slid it in there <laughs> um I, america ferrera honestly i thought was pretty meh in uh, i therapy. i agree I, I she has that kind of monologue near the end of the movie and I, i'm gonna assume that's probably where the nomination came from and i don't think she's a bad actress like she's 
she's been in quite a few TV shows, and I, I think she's a very good actress. I don't think it was an Oscar-worthy performance that she had, um, and I would be very, very surprised if she ended up uh, taking the award. I don't think that will. will and that, and that's not a that's not a hit against her. I just don't think the role no. was that great. Like I, I yeah, like, exactly. Margot Robbie's uh, w- was far more deserving of a nomination, in my opinion. But yeah, hundred percent. And I, I just watched the Color Purple last weekend here at the theater, and um, although it was it was very good, I, I really enjoyed the music. Uh, I, d- I didn't actually expect to enjoy the music as much as I did. Um, oh, but uh, you know, Daniel Brooks didn't really. I, she was a great, great role and and everything, but it didn't jump out at me as like. Mm-hmm. Wow, the way the way Divine Joy Randolph, if I'm saying her name right, like that that role just captivated me. Oh, 100%. Yeah, no, definitely one of the standouts of that. So hopefully, fingers crossed that the the Academy can could get it right and listen to our podcast and pick her. And, so and agree with us. Exactly, exactly. Um, and then so for for best uh, supporting actor, which typically is it's kind of what starts the show for. Um, for the Oscars, I remember a few years ago when when Whiplash was in and J.K. Simmons had won the uh, the Best Supporting Actor. He gave a an amazing speech, and it was such a great way to to start off that that uh, year's ceremony. So, um, the Golden Globes, uh, the winner this year for Best Supporting Actor was uh, Robert Downey Jr. in Oppenheimer. As, now, was uh, that his was that his first Golden Globe? Do you know? Oh, here, let me, I'll, I can I can check quick. Um, I would think probably not. I feel like he's probably been. Oh no, he's won lots of Golden Globes. He, oh yeah, he won Best Actor in a Musical Comedy for Sherlock Holmes, as well as oh, okay. Best Actor in a Miniseries for uh, Ally McBeal. Um, this does look like it is his first supporting actor win in uh, uh, in the Golden Globes. I don't know. Does he have an Oscar? Tell me. Uh, he did not. He was nominated in '93. Oh, interesting. So he was nominated in '93. Did not win. He was. Um, that was kind of back when he was still in his like drug abuse, and he says apparently what? he's glad that he did not win that year because he feels like it would have probably helped made him spiral a lot more. He was nominated for his role in uh, Chaplin. What What was the movie where he played blackface? Uh, oh, uh, Tropic Thunder. Yeah, like honestly, he <laughs> hard bad to say maybe, but he, he that was an incredible role. It only Robert it, Downey. It really is. It's a good criticism on the the method actor kind of persona. Yeah, yeah. Okay, keep no, going. So, so Robert Downey Jr. won the Golden Globe, but who are the nominees for Best Supporting Actor for the Oscars? Um, so we have uh, Sterling K. Brown uh, for American Fiction. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. Sorry, yeah, Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer. Robert De Niro. So we got two Roberts uh, for Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, Ryan Gosling for Barbie, like you said previously, and Mark Ruffalo for Poor Things. So some pretty pretty big uh, names in Hollywood that are all nominated uh, this year for Oscars for Best Supporting Actor. Look, I have not heard anything about this about American fiction. Do you do you know? What I, I I I. Until we had uh, last week done our little 
um, kind of covering the the movies and everything like that. I hadn't heard about it. Um, it does sound like a, a very interesting uh, movie. So uh, I just kind of quickly here pulled up a bit of what the plot is. So uh, Monk is a frustrated novelist who's fed up with the establishment that profits from black entertainment that relies on tired and offensive tropes. To prove his point, he uses a pen name to write an outlandish black book of his own, a book that propels him into the heart of hypocrisy and the madness he claims to disdain. So it sounds like a, an interesting premise. It's holding a, a 93% on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. That's both with audience and critics. So uh, it does look like it's, uh, you know, quite a quite an interesting concept, something I'd probably want to check out eventually. So, Yeah, I'm going to have to take a look at that one. I was just looking up Sterling K. Brown here too. And I, I know the actor, he was in Black Panther. Um, I know I've seen him in a few things. He's a great actor. Oh yeah. This is us. He's in that as well. Yeah, no, he, he is. It does look like it has a very, uh, like Jeffrey Wright as well. I believe he's nominated for uh best actor. He's been like, he was in Westworld. He's uh, the new uh, commissioner Gordon and the new of the Batman movies. Um, so no, yeah, there, it does have a very stacked cast as well. I, I don't feel, I feel like it's going to be a bit overshadowed by some of the other movies this year, but, uh, looks like it's still a pretty well-made film. So maybe, so, uh, he might be like a dark horse pick kind of. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'll, pro- I'll say I wouldn't be surprised if this will be, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s year to, to take home the Oscar. I think he's. In most of the award shows that have been coming up so far, he's taken the the, the award for his role in Oppenheimer, which is uh he's fantastic in Oppenheimer. He is yeah, I mean, yeah. he's so I, so so just just twisted and just slimy, and he they do a really good job with making you by the end really really hate his guts. Yeah, I agree. Um, I I was reading that. Uh, Ryan Gosling get getting nominated for Barbie, but not Margot Robbie or Greta Gerwing was basically the plot of Barbie. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That, that the that the guy gets what he wants, but the women are overlooked, which yeah, is basically so, the plot the plot of Barbie, right? And in the words of George Lucas, it's poetry. It rhymes. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Oh, you never. Oh, it's it's a famous <laughs> quote because George is not known to be a good director, um, right. as we've seen in, in a lot of his later films. But uh, when he would film the uh, the original trilogy, pretty much the only direction he would give is faster or more intense. That's the only thing he would say. And then when they got into the prequels, he repeatedly, over and over again would be talking about the prequels and talking about how the movies are poetry because they rhyme with the original movies and that's why it's so similar so it's a, that's a you know kind of a bit of a meme about george lucas saying oh it's poetry it rhymes you know <laughs> i did i've not heard that i like it that sounds like george though doesn't it it does 100 percent. yeah no um so i guess uh kind of, that kind of talking about george lucas there for at least for me it kind of brings into a bit of a segue for our uh, question of uh, of the day here before we get there uh one last comment about the oscar nominees i actually think robert de niro might win this one even though i didn't like love killers of the flower moon i i just his performance his role was was really intriguing and i, I could oh, really see him, i could see him pulling this one out 
And I mean, he also, I mean, sometimes too, it's, it's a bit of the legacy of the person nominated too. Like sometimes, you know, um, it's some, some they, of the voters they, take that into consideration. Yeah. hundred percent. Like I think that's, I've seen some kind of grumblings about John Williams being nominated for the Indiana Jones score. Which, like, people are kind of saying it's just because this is probably one of, could be one of his last movies, so it's kind of a bit of a, a legacy nomination for him, you know? Um, again, that's not something Robert De Niro or John Williams don't deserve to win the award, but it, it would not surprise me if that was the case. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Okay, so you were saying on to the, our miscellaneous question of the day. Yes, yes. So uh, our question today, and uh, if you've made it this far, please feel free to... Uh, uh, comment and leave your uh, answer to it. So uh, our question is, what was your f- first experience that you remember at the movies? So do you so want to go, wanna go for you? Sure, I'll go first. Uh, so as much as I can think back on it, um, the earliest memory I have is watching, funny enough, uh, The Phantom Menace in, in movie theaters for Star Wars Episode One, uh, which would have been like the movie came out in '99, but I was three years old, so I mean, I don't know if we would have seen it until probably later on in the year, most likely. Like I probably would have, probably would have been later on. I just think it came out in May, so it probably wasn't until like later summer that it came out. So I would have been, you know, three in a couple months. But um, I would have taken all, you. Yeah, well, I remember. Both, I believe it was both you and you and mom, and all I remember from the movie. It wasn't in Tisdale, I know that. And I I don't know if it's maybe just like me implanting a memory, but I remember there was a guy who came and thanked everybody for coming to the movie. Really? I don't remember. Yeah. That like I I and again, maybe that's just me because I mean I was three years old. I don't know if maybe this is just me implanting something. The only scenes I remember from the movie is the pod race. That's the only thing I remember from my experience. But if I think back, like the only other movies as a young kid that I remember as much as we went to the movies, I remember seeing Lilo and Stitch at the Falcon theater. And I only remember that because I was sitting on the balcony up on the second floor there. Oh, really? And then I also, yep. Yep. Cause it was so packed for it. And then, um, well, this would have been, uh, 2001. So I would have been a bit older. I remember when you took me to the first Harry Potter movie. Now, again, I don't remember anything specifically, but I remember one moment during the movie there were some people talking and I remember you went and shut them very loudly during the movie. <laughs> and I don't know why, but that has always stuck out in my head. as something I've remembered. I, I was practicing for when I manage the theater and have to shush people all the time. Actually, exactly. I, I rarely, I rarely have to shush people once in a while, but it's, I still have to go out and tell people to get off their phones during the movie. I, I, that is my biggest, that is my biggest pet peeve. If I'm at a movie theater and I see something on my phone, it, like I will stare at them and hope that my, they can feel my eyes piercing on the back of their heads until they turn them off. People, just so you know, if you're at a movie and somebody is on their phone, it is okay to go and ask them to put their phone away. Be polite about it. You don't have to go and call them names and you know, stuff, but go I mean, you, you, you can, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't stop you for calling them names. Now I'm a, I am a six foot one 234 pound bald man so me asking you to put your phone away may have more impact than you know a five foot two girl but uh i think it's still okay if people are being disrespectful to politely ask them to stop and they may or may not i guess but i've i have i have yet to to uh 
have somebody not put their phone away when I've asked them. Well, that's fortunate. So back to, back to the question, what was your first experience at the movies? Well, the first one that I can remember, and I'm, I probably went to a movie before this, but I'm not sure. The one that I remember is a movie called where the red fern grows. And it was, it came out (laughs) in 1974. So I would have been like five years old. And the thing I remember most about, I remember two things. I remember number one, the movie theater was so full that I had to sit in the aisle on the floor. And I oh still, my goodness. I, I know that's, the spot. That's got to be a fire hazard. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sure we were, there was no, 1974, there was no fire hazard commission people. We just did whatever the hell we wanted. Um, no, I, I remember that. And then I remember at the very end of the movie when the dogs were dead. And I'm I, <laughs> I remember bawling as a little boy and I was crying because the dogs died. And to this day, if I know that in a movie, a dog is going to die, I refuse to watch that movie. That is the saddest movie ever. And I was so mad because during Christmas, uh, Turner and Hooch came on TV with um, uh, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Yeah. And... I'd never seen it. So, oh, I'll leave this on while I was in the kitchen doing stuff. Well, the freaking dog dies at the end of the movie, gets shot and dies. I was like, are you kidding me? I would not have watched this movie had I known I was traumatized. Traumatized by the death of the dog, I say. (laughs) You can kill as many people as you want, but don't you dare lay a hand on that dog. Exactly. Dogs are perfect creatures and should not be killed in movies. That's, that's my, the moral of my story. 100%. All right. Well, I, do we have anything else uh, you wanted to talk about? Um, I, you know, I'll be honest. I was trying to find some, uh, some more kind of a, a little bit of our Star Wars coverage. But there hasn't really been uh, any, any Star Wars news in uh, the last week. So, uh, I don't well, think there's really anything. I can guarantee our listeners that if Noah doesn't know the Star Wars news, then there is no Star Wars news to know. Oh, okay. Here, I just looked up something. Uh, we talked a little bit ago about the the Mando, the Mandalorian, and Grogu that movie yep. coming out. Yep. Uh, looks as though it has been announced that it will start filming this uh, June, and the there's a new movie set that's going to be covering. Ray from the sequel trilogy um, looks as though that'll be filming in May. So May and June there's going to be some new Star Wars movies filming. So maybe we'll have more news as those are getting made. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. That's better. I was getting a little disappointed in my son. <laughs> any Star Wars uh, news. First, first time for that though. Ten things off. I would just like to thank a fellow by the name of Nick who goes by the username Brightest Avenue on the website Pixabay where I found that awesome uh, intro music that you heard at the start of the podcast. The song that you were listening to is called Unkillable, sorry, The Unkillable by Brightest Avenue on Pixabay. <laughs>